0: Welcome back to The Daily Drum on WHUR, Sirius XM, Channel 141, 96.3 HD2 and 98.3 FM. This is the Inside Segment. I'm Harold Fisher. Eight days and counting. Tensions are rising. Anxiety, too, for federal government workers. If Congress doesn't pass a spending bill by September 30th, hundreds of thousands of federal government workers will be out of work. We've seen this before. The longest shutdown lasted 35 painful days ending in January of 2019. Tonight, we're talking about the realities and the politics of the looming shutdown and the Congressional Black Caucus. My guest is Congressman Glenn Ivey from Maryland's 4th Congressional District. And you, the listener, if you have a comment or a question, give us a call. Lines are open at 202-319-7810, 202-319-7810. You can tweet me at w h u r or find me on Instagram at Harold T. Fisher. Congressman Ivey, thanks for joining the conversation. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Let's just get down to some basics. For for those of us who may have a short memory, what could a possible shutdown mean?
1: Well, what it means is that the government stops doing a lot of functions that are deemed non-essential. Frequently, that means there are government employees that, that don't work and don't get paid, even essential employees. Uh, can can have their checks postponed on the payment until the shutdown is over, and then there are issues like whether you're going to get your check from the government. I know there's some some checks for services uh, or uh, benefits that are that are mandatory income, but there are others that aren't, or they might be delayed. And then the other big issue, I think, for a lot of uh, contractors, if you're doing work for the government, you might have that payment uh, get delayed as well. And the government's already a little late uh, sometimes with prompt payments to uh, some of their contractors. So there can be a huge challenge with respect to the initial payments that come. The spillover effects are you know could have a negative impact on, on our government and our economy, and also on you know uh, you know other businesses, uh, faith community with respect to tithes and offerings. It's a really damaging thing, uh, and it really makes no sense. This is a fundamental function of the government. And the Republican House uh, members really ought to just come back to D.C. and get it done. So it it, it just doesn't make any sense for us to be in this position again.
0: Now, you were not in Congress in 2019 when this happened, and that was over former President Trump's uh, southern border wall funding that was as i said earlier a long and painful government shutdown 35 days and it really gave us a look at just uh, some of the i guess the microeconomy of of the day to day you know working person in the federal government a lot of people were hit hard back in 2019 and 20 uh, 2018 and 2019
1: yeah, absolutely. And we've had other government shutdowns, too. I've, in fact, I've been in the government, uh, you know, several uh, shutdowns ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're living through that impact. You know, your check doesn't come or, you know, you, you've got a, a take, for example, law enforcement and Border Patrol. The Republicans are always talking about they want to have people at the border. Well, even if you deem Border Patrol agents as essential, a lot of times the administrative personnel won't be essential. They won't be there at work. And so then you'll have to divert uh, the, the, the law enforcement personnel, the frontline border agents uh, from being in, you know, frontline work they're supposed to do, send them back to the office to do administrative work. So you're undermining that function. Uh, and really, it's, this is just ideological nonsense. You've got Senate Republicans, Senate Democrats, House Democrats in the White House all on board with trying to get something done it's only the house republicans that are holding us up.
0: So can you give me a little insight into the specifics of that because every shutdown is is very very different but uh, the, the the politics and the the infighting and the 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 republican party Uh, For for House members, Uh, it has gotten really contentious. Uh, And I know in one sense or another, you as a Democrat are on the outside looking in. But what what are you seeing and what are you hearing?
1: You know, uh, the Democratic leader, Hakeem Jeffries, called it a civil war within the Republican Party. And I I think he's right about that. You've got a lot of Republicans uh, who've been through this before, know it's a bad idea, I think they understand that eventually the public's going to turn on them about this and hold them accountable for it, and they don't want that to happen. But you've got this group of Republicans, they call themselves the Freedom Caucus, I call them the Chaos Caucus, because they're trying to do whatever they can to sort of push their arguments forward. Uh, You may recall just a few months ago the debt ceiling debate. uh, They walked us up to the brink of, you know, reneging on on paying our debts, which, of course, would throw not only the U.S. economy but potentially the world economy uh, into a tailspin. Um, it, it took Democratic votes to come over. In fact, we, we provided the majority of votes to uh, speaker, uh, 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 you know, the Speaker and, and, and the House Republicans that wanted to keep the, the debt ceiling uh, from, from becoming an issue. Uh, I don't know if it's going to work out that way again, but it's the same kind of scenario. These guys keep walking us up to the cliff and um trying to hold us hostage i suppose but i don't think it it didn't work that time and it won't work this time
0: either 202-319-7810 202-319-7810 we are talking about the looming federal government shutdown with maryland congressman uh, glenn ivy from maryland's fourth congressional district also i want to talk to him a little bit about the the cbc the congressional black caucus and um uh, black political power on the Hill. Let me go to the lo- let me go to the phone lines two zero two three one nine seven eight one zero. Ivy calling from DC. Thanks for calling, Ivy. What's on your mind?
2: Sure. So I, I saw two things today that are important to understand when it re- in, in regards to the um, this, the, the GOP leaving um, this week. There was a $600 million um, um, allocation to the Ukraine that was added to the defense bill. So they were on board for most of that bill, but for that defense bill, which is very important, they would not sign off on $600 million being added to Ukraine when Zelensky came in a sweatsuit and requested money from Congress. The second thing that I noticed about the bill and reading the legislation and voting Uh, was the uh, contentious matter of um, illegal migrants being flown into the country, um, giving airline tickets um, to 43 cities throughout the United States. So with that, I think that the position of those um, those, um, Congress people that decided to uh, leave the bills on the table were fundamentally uh, substantiated based on the amount of money that's been allocated
1: of foreign matters would mr ivy like to comment on that uh sure uh, yeah, absolutely the the big fight for the house republican caucus turns on uh, several things and uh, some of the funding is an issue that you you mentioned there but the big one is they want across the board cuts of over eight percent for everything but non-defense fund uh funding um and those are jaconian cuts so they'd be cutting, and, and actually, they, they haven't even decided how to how to exempt certain uh, funding mechanisms that would be caught up in that. So they talk about protecting the border, but the eight percent cuts that they talked about, they didn't exempt. So you'd end up cutting the border patrol agents' money by eight percent. You'd end up cutting other services and and um, equipment and the thing for border security by eight uh, percent. And so they're talking about doing that, but. You know, they haven't really come through with it. And then the other piece is they want to have the wall built. Now, they want 900 miles of wall built. Cost of that is at least $20 million a mile. So, you know, you're talking about billions of dollars going to build the wall, but they haven't provided the funding for it, even in the Department of Homeland Security budget. So they're kind of talking out of both sides of their mouths. I know there's some issues that they've got with respect to other provisions and the bills that they talked about. But if you look at what the Senate... Republicans and Democrats have figured out. They figured out how to reach a bipartisan agreement that deals with all of these issues, including some continued funding for Ukraine uh and uh disaster relief funding and get the bill done. The White House agrees with that, House Democrats have agreed with that as well. Only the House Republicans are fighting about it. So I hear what you're saying, but they're an outlier. Everybody else is on board with moving forward except them.
0: Ivy, thank you so much for your phone call. 202-319-7810 202-319-7810. Christian calling from DC. Thanks for calling. Christian, what's on your mind? Yes,
2: I I would like to comment on the government shutdown that you mentioned. Sure. I I I I have a concern about it because if if we if we have a if we have a government shutdown how are how are people who work for the government going to feed their families and, and what I, and what i mean and when i say this i mean if you if you remember the, if you remember the government shutdown that we had before which lasted 35 days i don't think i don't think the trump administration did a good job when we had that government shutdown
0: well let me let me see what the congressman uh has to say about that but and, and she's right I think as I said earlier uh, Congressman Ivy I think a lot of people were shocked that you know we had people you know going to food pantries and the like federal government workers and and not all of them in the in the lower salary ranges I think it it gave us a A bird's eye view into the paycheck to paycheck uh, lifestyle that a lot of Americans have, whether they were federal government workers or, or not. And I think Christian is expressing concerns that a lot of people do.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I know there are a number of people who are, you know, they need to get paid so they can pay their rent every month. They need to get paid so they can buy food every month or gas or whatever uh, their, their expenses are. There are also going to be some people who need to get paid because there are unexpected expenses they might have had this month, like potentially you know medical and health care costs or the car broke down or you know whatever it is. Uh, and then you've got folks who paycheck the paycheck piece with respect to paying for college tuition, for example, uh, which is hard to budget around for many families because college tuition is so expensive. So there's a lot of stuff out there, but the bottom line is These are people who are doing their jobs uh, or they've earned the benefits. The government has no excuse for for not paying them on time. They've done their part. The government needs to do its part and pay them on time, whether it's for the benefits they've earned, whether it's for the work that they've done or the contractual work that they've uh, done done for the government as well. We just need to to keep up our end of the deal.
0: Christian, thank you so much uh, for your phone call. I did want to ask you about... Black political power on Capitol Hill. The Congressional Black Caucus, they're having their legislative conference this week. Uh, but I, I want to talk about you know Capitol Hill for a bit. There are uh, 58 members of the Congressional Black Caucus, including two non-voting delegates. And for the first time in history, we've had a black minority leader. But how would you characterize um voting power um, wielded by the CBC on Capitol Hill are they in lockstep as we have seen you know with other caucuses like the freedom caucus what, what what's your take on that
1: well it's, it's it's the issue for us right now is whether we're in the majority or in the minority mm-hmm. so last congress when we were in the majority and we had all of these leaders uh, the chairman of committees and the like uh, we were able to get an, an enormous amount done uh, on behalf of a variety of committees that made a difference. Uh, we got a lot of legislation done, whether it was, um, you know, the infrastructure bill that, that uh, created uh, additional jobs for building roads and bridges and the like. We got the, the, the manufacturing work, uh, you know, support done, uh, chips. I mean, there's all kinds of bills out there that's going to bring money home to our communities and grants for, you know, public safety and the like. This year, by contrast, now that we're in the minority, yeah. we, don't have the, we don't have the ability to move that legislation. And a lot of things that we weren't, we were able to move through the House last year, we can't do it now because we don't control the agenda. We can't vote it out of committee, we can't take it to the floor, and we don't have the majority to vote it through. So mm. elections matter. They make a huge difference. If we can win back the House, and I think we're very well positioned to do that, it'll all flip back to where it was two years ago. But. That's we've got we've got to win the elections first.
0: I know I, I'm, I'm going to lose you in a bit, but I, I need to ask you real quick about the hearing earlier this week with the attorney general Mer, uh, Merrick Garland. Um, I I was watching you. And even though you were just calling out a, a, a just a point of order with uh, Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan, were, were you ready to give him some Prince George's County smoke? I, I was, I, I, was I, I thought you were going to get up, you know. <laughs> hey, you know, you,
1: you, we, we got to fight sometimes, you know. And, and we, the, the stuff that they're doing at these hearings is ridiculous because, you know, they're trying to push this impeachment issue. The Speaker put it out there to try and, like, appease his right flank so he could get this government shutdown worked out. But it worked uh, in the exact opposite way. He lost of the people he was trying to win over. So he's still on track, unfortunately, for the government shutdown. And he can't get off track for this impeachment inquiry. Because the impeachment inquiry, it's going to be a dead end because there's there's no evidence that Joe Biden did anything wrong, much less high crimes and misdemeanors. So um, it's frustrating because there's a lot of stuff like dealing with gun violence that the the House Judiciary Committee could be doing. But we're not because they're so focused on this. I think they've concluded their only way that they can beat Biden is to muddy him up in Congress, and that's what the impeachment inquiry is about.
0: Maryland Congressman Glenn Ivey, I'm watching. I'm watching. (laughs) Look, thank thank you so much. Enjoy the Congressional Black Caucus this weekend. Try to stay uh, dry because of the weather this weekend. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm Harold Fisher. John Mons is next with the original Quiet Storm. That's on WHUR PJ calling from Virginia. We're going to talk to you next. We're going to continue this conversation about the politics and reality of a shutdown and the Congressional Black Caucus, the political power on the Hill. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back to the Daily Drum on Sirius XM Channel One Forty One. I'm Harold Fisher. We are talking about the realities and the politics of the looming federal government shutdown, as well as the Congressional Black Caucus and Black political power on Capitol Hill. Joining me now is Dr. Neambi Carter, author of American Wild: Black African American Immigration and the Limits of Citizenship. By the way, the book is now on Audible. You didn't tell me. Yes. Yes, Cindy. I, I
2: thought you, I'm sorry,
0: I thought you did. No, yes, I didn't. No, you know, I can't, I, I can't read anymore. I, I got <laughs> to listen to stuff in my car. But, you know, I, I, I've, got my, I've got my audible membership, so, you know, I'm, I'm hooking it up for you tonight.
3: Oh, well, thank you so much,
0: Harold. 202-319-7810. 202-319-7810. PJ from Virginia, we're going to come to you in just a bit. But first, Dr. Carter... Um, You know, we we're looking at a a federal government shutdown in eight days unless something happens. I I spoke with Congressman Glenn Ivey from Maryland just a, a few moments ago about the realities of it. But, you know, from your perspective, what are the political optics of this?
3: Well, look, I don't think it's a great thing whenever you have government services are disrupted and you have hundreds of thousands of federal workers without pay. I mean, this is going to be catastrophic um, for those workers, especially the essential workers who still have to go to work without pay. So I think it just makes us look like um, almost like a banana republic, right? We're a nation that can't get it together. Not to mention what this means for us militarily, right? I mean... You will have um, hundreds of thousands of Pentagon employees who will be furloughed. I mean, federal law enforcement agents who will be furloughed. I mean, federal courts are going to have to scale back their activities, not to mention the number of our foreign allies and partners that could run out of money as well if we can't get this together. I mean, it touches every sector of our life, national monuments, national parks, all the things that make this country work.
0: Yeah, and and I think you know one of the the things that a lot of people don't understand, and Congressman Ivey made a really fine point. He said a lot of the unessential um, offices will will shut down, but as we've seen in past shutdowns, the essential offices and and. Positions and workers like air traffic controllers, you know, those those are federal government jobs. Well, you know, airplanes are going to still fly. And so those air traffic controllers and airports across the country, they will still have to work. And as we saw during the 2018, 2019 shutdown, it, it's a terrible thing when you have to work and no paychecks are coming through.
3: Absolutely. And when we think about the gravity of these positions, I don't know that we want a bunch of disgruntled air traffic controllers running around. Not to suggest that these people will be anything other than professional and make sure people arrive to their destination safely. But when we think about the people that we need to care for, the people we need to take care of, those are some of those people, I think, especially as we're moving into holiday season, some of our children are coming home on fall breaks and things like that. um, This is going to be really painful. For lots of people and we saw how Americans rallied the last shutdown but it shouldn't be the case that people have to rely on side hustles and GoFundMe's and just you know the goodness of, of companies right because when you have to ask your mortgage company to hold your payment because you're on furlough that doesn't make the interest stop That just no. means you don't have to make a payment for those few months this is really devastating um for people financially, not to mention students in college who have to think about disbursements for federal student aid and other things that may or may not come because of this this shutdown. Yeah. So, I mean, it could be, I mean, it's really devastating and I think it's, it's, it's slap in the face to those essential workers, um, back to your point, to have to show up to work and not receive a paycheck.
0: 202 319 PJ calling from Virginia. Thanks for hanging on. PJ, what's on your mind?
2: I just wanted to if my husband probably would tell me that it's a crazy talk, but when we have a, the um, attempt of a shutdown of the government why not add uh, uh, the Congress's paychecks in there too. If, the, if it's a shutdown and their funds are affected, then they might understand that there are people out there that live on the money that comes in. And it's not a given. We have worked very hard to sustain the lives that we are in uh, uh, for, the, for the funds that we receive. It. Yeah. Have them figure
0: it out. <laughs> thank you, PJ. Don't let your husband call you crazy. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much. But,
3: but PJ is very rational, right? Because the way that their pay is treated is not like other federal employees. So they will continue to draw a paycheck even though they have failed on their job. When you haven't reached a deal to fund the government, that is a failure. They are not doing what they're there to do. And the fact that they get paid, meanwhile, the people that clean those buildings, the people that protect them, are not drawing a paycheck. They should be ashamed of themselves.
0: Yeah. Talk to me also about, the, the, I think this is the the, the partisan reality of, of politics on Capitol Hill right now. So let us say, as Congressman Ivey just suggested this is a, an issue where you have the Freedom Caucus really kind of holding this up. Uh, no matter what caucus, no matter whether you're mid- you're a middle of the road Republican or whether you're far right or mm-hmm. what what have you, but this is a Republican issue once again. Well, the last time this was a Republican issue, this was former President Trump's. Um, asking for money for the border wall. And so when you look at the the broader issue we're coming into a a a uh, a voting year next year Virginia even locally for example their early voting started yesterday and even though it's obviously not a presidential year you know the the talk is presidential politics national politics definitely on the ballot, this does not look good. Uh, it doesn't make the Republicans look good.
3: Absolutely, it doesn't. And first of all, it makes McCarthy look feckless, quite frankly. I mean, if his leadership team can't pull together this caucus to pass a continuing resolution, which is kind of business as usual, when we're talking about keeping the government open, he's out of there or should be out of there on his, on, hoisted out on his petard. In terms of this Freedom Caucus, I mean, these people are holding us over the financial cliff yet again because of the chaotic politics that they know are not going to be winners. They're not going to make it through the Senate, the kind of hard line cuts that they want to see. They're not going to be signed by President Biden. So this is going to play over and over and over again because they keep abandoning the American people. I mean, the Republican majority is very thin, right? Um, I mean, the Speaker is hanging on by a thread.
0: Four Um, votes, I think. Uh, Exactly. Yeah.
3: Exactly. So this is not someone, I mean, what, it took 15-plus ballots to get him to be there um, as the Speaker? So this is not going to look good for them. And if if Democrats could get themselves together and on message, they should beat them over the head with this every chance they get throughout this election cycle. Because Republicans— Again, you can't be moderate on this issue. You can't be anything on this year, issue other than we need to get this done because we need to solve this problem. Mm-hmm. And so they have to re- essentially defect if they are moderate as they claim from these crazy people. And I'm 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 saying that quite, you know, purposely. Who mm-hmm. would rather see our country collapse rather than? Um, give an inch to this administration, and that's just irresponsible.
0: You said something that that just struck me, and this has been something that has... Been fodder for critics of the Democrats for quite some time. Why do you suppose that the Democrats are not as disciplined when it comes to messaging? Because you got to give it whether whether it's the, the Freedom Caucus or you know the the, the Republican Party, uh, whether you like them or or not, the Republican Party has been exceptionally deft at be, st- being on message, staying on message, mm-hmm. talking point. Why can't the Democrats seem to do that?
3: Because I think one of the things that Democrats never like to do is toot, they, toot their own horn. And they never like to tell other people, hey, this is what we're doing, and this is what we have done, and this is why we're good at it. They don't do that. Republicans will look you in the face and tell you that the sky is red, even though that you can see it's blue, and will still say the sky is red, and they will all get in lockstep. So, for some reason, I think Democrats just have a really hard time being their own cheerleaders and have a really difficult time – Talking about the things that they do do well and the things that they have won, you know, their political wins, in part because you have some like in the Progressive Caucus who, in some respects, are kind of all or nothing. Mm -hmm. right; It's either we get all of the things that we want or we got nothing instead of saying, look, we didn't get everything we wanted, but these are the things we were able to do. Like on student loan reform, right? There are some people still saying it didn't go far enough. Well, maybe it didn't. But the fact is, I know lots of black people right now, who don't have to pay any more student loans. And that's a huge win. And I think that's something they could be talking about. But because they have not done it in absolute terms, in a way that pleases everyone, um, they just can't seem to exert the party discipline that their Republican peers do. And I, I agree with you. I mean, to their credit, one of the best things that Republicans have ever been able to do is talk coherently, cogently, and succinctly. About what it is that they've done, whether it's truthful or not, I think is a question for another day. Mm -hmm. But the fact that they can get everyone to say it, I think, is an important part
0: and which you can attribute to to their political success in. In some ways, because, again, as you said, when they are are lockstep on on certain issues, you know, big issues, even when you're talking about uh, supporting former President Trump or or -hmm. issues like abortion and the like, uh, with the with the exception of a few outliers, your Mitt Romney's and and the like, they they are indeed lockstep. Let I want to talk to you about the congressional black caucus and of course we are in the midst of uh, the CBC week, the legislative conference and for you know outsiders who have never been first of all you should go and I don't mean to the parties I mean you can <laughs> but you know because a lot of people think you know all they are are just parties but mm-hmm. there there are all kinds of really important Pertinent issues being discussed, e- even even today, there was a report about discussions. You know, there was a Brain Trust uh, meeting about the banning of menthol cigarettes because African Americans are the biggest consumers of that, and and obviously, always the the big talk about the vote, but on Capitol Hill. As I mentioned to Congressman Ivy, fifty-eight members of the Congressional Black Caucus, including two uh, non-voting delegates, Hakeem Jeffries, minority leader, the first Black uh, minority leader uh, in, in history. But how much? How much power? Does the does the Congressional Black Caucus really wield on on the hill? We hear about the Freedom Caucus, we hear about all of these other caucuses, but we often don't hear as much about the the C B C.
3: Well, I mean, I think, you know, power is relative. I mean, it's not gonna be the same at all times and certainly it ebbs and flows. I think the thing that has made the Congressional Black Caucus important Is its leadership on issues that really matter not just to black Americans but to all Americans I mean they do everything from immigration to voter suppression to criminal justice reform to technology I mean you name it the Congressional Black Caucus has really been out front of it and one of the things I think the Congressional Black Caucus can be credited with is really giving Democrats in particular a message they can carry not just for black Americans but for all Americans particularly marginalized communities and when you think about the breadth of the states they represent North Carolina Ohio Florida California etc I mean they're covering a large geographic part of the US so I would say that they're their influence maybe as a full body may ebb and flow, but when you look at the seniority of people like Benny Thompson, who read, who who ran the January Six hearings, for example, James Clyburn, who is credited right with bringing the state of South Carolina to Joe Biden and revitalizing um, his presidential run in 2020, we think about uh, Barbara Lee, who has been out front. Not just in her opposition to the iraq war but on a number of international issues that have been of import i mean i think you cannot discount the congressional black caucus and its members as a body and as individuals because the number of things that they have brought to our our forefront um i mean are immeasurable i mean terry sewell of alabama i mean she was the first person after you know shelby county b holder and after the central gutting of the Voting Ranks Act, who said, here's a plan for how we can replace the formula that's under um, discussion here and make this actually a workable plan. He was one of the few people who actually had a solve or a solution, excuse me, to this problem and still hasn't been taken up on it. But, you know, the Congressional Black Caucus has always sort of been a maverick on the Hill. They've been really thoughtful for a really long time because they're not majority, right, of the members right. of this country. But the in terms of the issues, in terms of the innovation, um, I don't think you can overlook the Congressional Black Caucus
0: and what they have to offer uh, still uh, to Americans. Mm-hmm. The you know when we look at some of the other. <clears throat> The, the other issues, and uh, you 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 mentioned that you know the gutting of uh, you know the Voting Rights Act, and we talk about you know the, the, for example the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, uh-huh. and and things like that that obviously uh, the Congressional Black Caucus uh, supports, and you know and without really getting down into the into the weeds, uh, but Congressman ivy made an excellent point he said elections matter Mm -hmm. and they and they really really do and and as we know um the, the the lion's share of the members of the congressional black caucus they you know they come from you know from areas where there are most where there are mostly black voters you know how you know with the country seemed to be torn asunder, so polarized, you know, right now and you know, you know, you're a black person, I'm a black person. (laughs) You know, look the you know, the the vote you know, voting rights, you know, criminal justice, you know, it's like, you know, that's 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 common sense. But obviously there were parts of this country that do not see it as such. It it from you know, from your p- political genius mind, it, you know you have some black folks who are like, you know, I'm going to have to move to where my vote counts, instead of mm-hmm. in instead of in this part of the country where they feel their vote, right or wrong, is is wasted. Look, mm-hmm. I I argue, if you got a good job and you can vote, stay where you are. But if you but if you move. From, you know, from an area you want to you want to move somewhere where you, you know, where there may be black, more black representation. Does that defeat the point or, you know, is that a self-defeating action? I don't think so. Look, people have a right, especially black people, to live where they
3: feel safe. Yeah. Where they feel comfortable, where they feel that they are seen, where they have the representation that they would like. Um, I understand the argument about moving to where your vote counts and wanting to be in places where you think you can really push the needle, right? If you live in D.C., for example, in your primary cycle, D.C. comes so far in the primary, it's like it doesn't even matter, right? Um, And it's sort of a foregone conclusion who D.C. may pick. But that doesn't mean that it's not important. And I think, you know, when we consider places where there actually are a lot of black people, but they don't have a lot of representation, we have to start looking at the institutions that make that so. When you look at a place like a Louisiana, you look at a place or like Alabama.
0: A place
3: Or Alabama. Or Alabama, or North Carolina, right? All of these places that are really suppressing black voters in those states, that's the part we think about dismantling. That's the part we think about, or we need to start thinking about um, going after, because, I mean, there's no reason why legis- uh, why legislators from those states should be as white as they are, um, and the only reason that they are is because they're engineered to be that way. I mean, you have people like Lauren Underwood who does not serve a majority black district, but the fact of the matter is the reason we have the members of the Congressional Black Caucus that we do is because of real thoughtful conversations about what does it mean to be represented here and being able to pick the person of your choice is something that we consider to be really a bedrock kind of principle. But we see that get undermined every day in some of these states that I'm, that we mentioned um, because there is a real fear of ascendant black political power in these places. So I do think it worthwhile that people live where they feel comfortable. Like your whole life doesn't have to be a political statement, right? Like I do believe that black people are entitled to comfort. I do believe that black people are entitled to put down the mantle sometimes because it is heavy and it's not just our fight. So I understand that I'm sympathetic to that perspective. I am also here for black people who say, I want to live in a place where I'm comfortable that my children aren't the only ones or where I'm respected as a human being and I don't have to apologize for who I am and how I show up in the world, where I can find a hairdresser that knows how to do my type of hair. I get that. And that's just as legitimate as folks who say, you know what, I'm going to locate myself in a place where where there's some action. And this is where I think, you know, young people could really be engaged. When we think about our young children who are in colleges and universities in some of these battleground states, I think we need to make sure we bring them into the process and we make sure they know that if they can, in a state where they are located, become registered voters to do that and exercise their right to vote in Ohio, in North Carolina, in um, Alabama, Louisiana, and these places, because those are also important uh, quarters to think about you know you don't just start thinking about voting when you become a mortgage holder or you become a person with a job these are things we start thinking about or should start thinking about when we're 18 1920 so let's engage those young people and give them the support that they need to do some of that in those places
0: well you know you know i was thinking and and the reason that i shouted out you know alabama because as mm-hmm. you know better than i that the big you know, nasty fight over creating a, a second-majority black voting district in Alabama. And, mm-hmm. and the fact that the Al- Alabama legislature uh, has defied the U.S. Supreme mm-hmm. Court. I mean, when, the, when SCOTUS, the highest court in the land, says you must do this, mm-hmm. and Alabama legislators say, I hear what you're saying, we're not going to do that. And, you know, and, and 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 I, you know, and I, and I, and I think about if I live, if I still lived in Alabama as I did mm-hmm. during the during the nineteen uh, during the nineteen nineties, um, as a a as a person who truly believes in the the, the power of the vote, I probably would, despite my discomfort want to just stay so that mm-hmm. I could vote for uh, you know the, the the next the the next state legislator who is going to follow the Supreme Court's rulings
3: well look the truth is anybody that bothers follows, follows a Supreme Court ruling is doing so only because of a norm yes it's not a rule. They have no enforcement authority. They can't make anybody anything, do anything. And so the fact that Alabama is defying the Supreme Court to discriminate expressly against black voters, yes, um, I think, is, is all the more galling. Um, and what they've essentially done is drawn a map where they pack most of the black voters in one district, even though black voters account for a quarter of the population of the state of Alabama and if these districts were drawn more reasonably right there should be more than a singular black vote, uh, black legislator from that state and what the Republicans have said they are more wedded to discriminating against black voters than they are to honoring the spirit of the law and to honoring the norms that all of us abide by when we see a congressional decision They have honored that congressional decision with the dobbs decision to get rid of abortion but when it comes to making sure that black citizens and i think that's very important to say that black citizens have the right to exercise their um their power and their rights that we are just going to bag off of doing that these people care nothing about the rule of law they care everything about power and that they will step on black people in montgomery in mobile and in, in birmingham to get there should surprise none of us it should make us all really pissed off but it should surprise none of us i think i understand why some people do stay and fight i also understand and i'm sympathetic to the black people who say i'm sick of this and i want to go yeah to connecticut or i want to go to Texas or Delaware or Maryland or Pennsylvania or some other place where the world feels more manageable, because it is exhausting, and it's not just Black people asked to fight for other Black people. We're asked to fight for other people too. It's tiring.
0: Yeah, and now see that that part, that part. That uh, part. Yes, what you ju- <laughs> what you just said, and I. Uh, it, it it was so eloquent yes black people we we must fight for ourselves but then it, you know in the political in, in the political town square we are mm-hmm. asked to fight for other people too and i think that who knows maybe the call to action for for the congressional black caucus coming out mm. of this conference is Yes, we're going to fight for you all, but you all need to put up too because Absolutely. because this, you know, this coming, you know, presidential election, this coming uh uh you know, local not local but but statewide election in Virginia is 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 extremely important, and I know every in every election year is the most important election year of our lives. Yes, Uh, until until the next one. That's for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Look, uh, Dr. Niambi Carter, thank you so very much. I I appreciate your big brain. I say it all the time. (laughs) And uh, look, I'm glad your book is on Audible because I I don't have time to sit down and read, but I'm going to listen to it in my car. (laughs) I well, promise.
3: I appreciate you,
0: Harold. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Look, you stay dry this weekend. I, uh, no no, no backstroking d- down <laughs> Pennsylvania Avenue because we're going to get promise. a gully washer
3: this weekend. I <laughs> promise. You take care. All
0: right, thank you so much. Thank you. We okay. also want to thank Maryland Congressman Glenn Ivey for appearing on the program earlier. That is The Daily Drum. On Sirius XM Channel 141 for this Friday, September 22nd, for news director Renee Nash, reporters Millette Green, Bramante Bryan, producer Janae Addison, and engineer Bobby Adams, I'm Harold Fisher. Good night and have a safe weekend.